You are listening to a Sunday sermon from St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Bellevue, Washington. We are a community that seeks God's presence, serves Christ and others, and grows together in faith. Welcome to our podcast. The following sermon was preached on the second Sunday after the Epiphany, January 17, 2021, by Ashley Buff Lang, Associate for Youth at St. Thomas. According to John, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord And now it's my great privilege to welcome to the pulpit this morning our associate for... Uh, Youth and Communications, Ashley Buff. Ashley? It is late 11th century BC where we encounter a man named Samuel. A man who at this point in his life is a prophet of great renown, but who in this particular moment, as we see recorded much later than our lectionary text this morning in the 15th chapter of the first book of Samuel, finds himself in quite a predicament. You see, not long before this moment in which we have landed in our magical pulpit time machine, Samuel, a widely known and respected prophet of his day, has been tasked by the people Israel to find for them a king. Though weary and skeptical of the people's futile attempt to reject God's reign with the insistence of a human monarch, Samuel, with God's blessing, has obliged, and has appointed to them a handsome and promising young man named Samuel, named Saul. But what has begun with great promise has ended instead in futility and frustration. You see, Saul has failed to carry out God's commands, and thus God has rejected him as king. Samuel, of course, is the one tasked with delivering this difficult news. And so he does just that. Saul, for what it's worth, can see his failure before God, yet he is no less devastated by the sentence. Samuel himself is grief-stricken by the failure and disappointment of this fallen king, and he turns to walk away. 
But for Saul, this cannot be the last word. In a moment of desperation, he reaches out to grab hold of Samuel's robe, and it tears in his hand. The Lord's judgment is final. A solemn Samuel looks back at Saul in one last attempt to spell it out plainly for him. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. In other words, it's over. As we watch this scene unfold, listening as the prophet puts forth what was surely a difficult judgment on a man he trusted enough to appoint into the position of king, I can't help but wonder if in that moment Samuel's mind began to wander back a bit. Back to a simpler day, seemingly unmarred by the darkness of persecution, war, and grief which he has become so accustomed these days. I wonder if his mind drifts back to that day, or more accurately, to that night, where he slept, still and quiet, where our story in the lectionary begins. It's late in the night, and Samuel, still a boy at the time, is fast asleep in the temple. It was the kind of night where one might only hear the familiar rustle of wind as it whips through the halls and corridors, but on this particular night, this night where the lectionary text invites us in, a new sound emerges. It is distant yet distinct. Samuel. Samuel. Samuel, being the obedient and faithful student that he was, quickly gets up from his sleep. He runs into the room where his, te- Eli, where his teacher, Eli, is sleeping. At this point, Eli is an old man. His body is wearied, and his eyes have grown dim with age. Just before where our passage picks up this morning, we read that a judgment has been cast on the house of Eli. You see, though Eli was a man of responsible faith, his sons had brought corruption, infidelity, and greed upon the priestly order. God is unamused and even offended by their blaspheming ways and has therefore issued a harsh sentence. The house of Eli will be displaced and humiliated. His sons will die, and God will instead raise up a new leader positioning him into the office of prophet. And so it is this boy, Samuel, having been placed into Eli's care by his mother Hannah and for the glory of God, who comes to him in this night. Here I am, he exclaims. You called me? Eli, a bit drowsy, having been roused from his sleep, responds simply, I did not call you, Samuel. Go back. So Samuel returns to his room, but not a moment after he shuts his eyes for a second time, he hears it again. Samuel. Samuel. He returns once more to Eli's room, but again he is met by his teacher with confusion. I haven't called you, Eli says. Go, return to your room. So Samuel returns once more, and you know what happens. There it comes to him again. What kind of games is this old man playing with me? You imagine Samuel is thinking to himself as he returns, exasperated one last time to Eli's room. 
Well, third time is the charm for our pair here, and soon Eli discerns that this young boy has not, in fact, gone mad, but has begun to hear the voice of the Lord. And so Eli sends Samuel back to his room for one last time, this time not out of annoyance, but instead with a directive. Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for I, your servant, am listening. So Samuel does just that. And as we know from our reading this morning, the message he ultimately hears is not an easy one. It is, of course, a good primer for the young prophet. No one ever said his office was easy. Sheepishly, he returns to Eli, who he knows by this revelation from God will ultimately fall before him. With a little bit of gentle cajoling from his mentor, Samuel finally delivers the unsavory news to a knowing Eli. And friends, what happens next is truly remarkable. You see, missing from this morning's text is any indication that Eli met those words with malice or anger. On the contrary, Eli listens with a patient and faithful ear, giving words of wisdom and encouragement to young Samuel. And it is this act of Eli's responsive grace, even in the midst of his own undoing, that Samuel moves from boyhood and into the vocation that God has called him. It is written, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. The word of this mighty prophet traveled from as far south to the highest northern regions of the land. And it is here that we return once more to the scene where our story began today. Samuel, pursing his lips, perhaps battling his own creeping insecurities or disillusionment, trying to discern what in the world God might do next. It would be justified in this moment to recall the words of the jaded Nathaniel presented to us in our gospel reading today. I can imagine Samuel himself standing there in the bitter and bloody wreckage of this scene in front of Saul, the fallen king, thinking to himself, what good can come from this? Of course, the hope for us here today is that we know that this is not the end of the story. Indeed, not long after this scene with Saul, the wise prophet Samuel will appoint a new king, a man named David. And it is in this small act of faithful, God-led resilience in the midst of disappointment. Perhaps it was that same resilience he saw modeled for him as a boy that the stage will be set for the grander scheme of God's redeeming love. Yes, even from this place, even from the wreckage of torn cloth and shattered expectations, there will come to the people a humble shepherd boy named David. And don't get me wrong, this man will not be free from his own iniquities. Yet, still, there will come from him a lineage. One that will trace all the way throughout Israel to a new king, a humble and holy ruler come in the form of a baby, who will change the hearts and minds of all who are daring enough to pay attention, all who are bold enough to follow. 
Indeed, even from this very moment, a marvelous and sweeping story will soon unfold in such a way that we cannot help uh, that we cannot help but observe with awe and wonder. Look, see what good has come from this unremarkable city, Nazareth. I am led from wonder into pure conviction that even in that moment, Samuel. A man called by God and formed by grace and filled with faithfulness is propelled by the very faith of those that came before him. From his mother, Hannah, who prayed for him and who prayed on his behalf and gave him over to God, who acted as an intercessor on his behalf. To his teacher, Eli, who led him in the ways of the Lord. I believe that the same can be said of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., whose birth and life we honor this weekend. Dr. King, too, had mentors who formed him, contemporaries who challenged him, and intercessors who prayed on his behalf. Powerful individuals who empowered King to see the grander scheme of all that was unfolding, even in the midst of the wreckage. Leaders like Howard Berman, a teacher and mentor for Dr. King during his time at Boston University. And of course, there was Bayard Rustin, an activist whose courage and openness as an openly gay black man helped lay a foundation for King's own ideals of nonviolent participation and social action. There was Ella Baker, whose vested interest in young activists led to her co-founding the Southern Christian Leadership Conference alongside King and others. And let's not forget young Ruby Bridges, whose bravery and courage as the first black child to desegregate New Orleans public schools was surely an inspiration to her contemporaries at the time. And I wonder if, as King stood outside that home, perhaps on the evening of January 30th, 1956, where he stood in the wake of an assassination attempt on his life and the life of his family, where his home was bombed. I wonder if when he stood there, he thought, could this be worth it? Can anything good come from this place? I wonder if as he stood there, the soles of his shoes dusted in shattered glass, if somewhere in the distant corners of his own memory, there played for him a song, a song of Hannah, one sung by a barren woman turned mother of the prophet Samuel, whose story we tell today. One whose courage and faithfulness and conviction led to one of the greatest prophets of our day. A woman who, in her great joy and thanksgiving, offered words of praise on behalf of her son and, in fact, all people Israel. Those words she sings, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. The bowels of the mighty are broken to pieces, but those who have stumbled strap on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to be hungry. Even the infertile woman gives birth to seven. 
But she who has many children languishes. The Lord puts to death and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and brings up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He humbles. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the garbage heap to seat them with nobles. And he gives them a seat of honor as an inheritance. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. I wonder if during those days where the task of prophet felt all at once too difficult to bear, if those words of audacious and unflappable hope carried them, each of them, I wonder if in those moments where the bitterness of grief, frustration, disappointment, and despair overwhelmed them, if they couldn't help but see the rough and rugged hands, those dim yet piercing eyes of all the mentors who walked the road before them, enabling them to come and see, to discern God's call upon their life. Yes, I wonder if even now, where the task not only of prophet, but of king, priest, teacher, doctor, nurse, activist, organizer, caretaker, service provider, parent, child, spouse, even friend. When those calls feel impossible to bear, perhaps even bitterly lonely. I wonder if we, too, might find within us the strength to recall those words once sung on our behalf. If we, too, might recall the strength of those who have walked the path before us. Perhaps, then, we might have the ears to hear the one who calls us in the night. The one who invites us, even in the midst of our iniquities and failures, to participate in the ever-expanding story of God's grace and redemption through our Lord and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. For it is this very one, this humble servant who brings our shattered pieces back together to build a body, wholly broken and yet somehow whole, formed and sustained in him. My brothers and sisters, my prayer for us today is that we might have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the community to help us discern the one who calls us by name. And may each of us, inhabiting the many diverse and varied vocations to which God has surely called us, learn to both seek and cling to the grace brought forth by the light-bearers and song-singers who came before us. And we, may we too, in the fullness of a life known and formed and reared by God, learn to be the same for others. Amen. Amen. For more information about St. Thomas Episcopal Church, please visit our website at www.stthomasmedina.org.